He is risen. He is risen indeed. Now, I don't know if you responded to that at home, uh, but it, it sure is strange to proclaim it and not hear that great communal response that, that we're so used to on Easter, right? It is strange to celebrate Easter without gathering together as the church. This is a strange Easter. But perhaps most of all, if we're honest, it's strange for us to be celebrating at all while the world is shuddering in the shadow of the coronavirus. Some are sick, wrestling with their physical well-being. Others are in isolation, cut off from the social connection that they need. And many can't help but wonder, where is God in the midst of all of this, facing a spiritual doubt? But these are the very things that the story of Easter responds to. So, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be this morning. And as you're turning there, I, I want to ask the question, how have you been spending your time during this extended stay-at-home order that, that we've been living in? You know, with all of the warm, sunny weather we've had this week, I've heard that many of you are going outside, going for walks, getting some much-needed yard work accomplished, right? But, but I'm sure that, that many of you have also found some, some new shows to watch to help pass the time. And I'm wondering, have you seen any good movies lately? You know, have you found any good movies to watch? I was talking with my younger brother just the other day, and he's on lockdown in Texas right now, and he's been watching all of the Marvel Avengers movies. You know, this is Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk, Thor, you know, those guys. Have you seen any of these movies? I mean, they have been just coming out one after another after another for a long time. You know, he's he is building up as he's watching this to Avengers Endgame, right? This is the movie that came out last year. It is the big giant conclusion to more than 20 movies that were made over the course of about 10 years, right? And so for superhero movie fans, Endgame was a big deal. Right, So big of a deal that the studio went through great lengths to prevent spoilers getting out about the movie. That They even gave multiple versions of the script to the actors so that they wouldn't know which ending was the real one. So that they couldn't spoil it before the movie came out. You see, we care a lot about stories. And we especially care about how they end. We care so much that you'll see disclaimers and articles online and social media that say spoiler alert, right? And usually in all caps. And that lets you know that what you're about to read is going to give away the ending of the story, right? It's going to give something away. And we really do seem to believe that if we hear the end of a story before we're supposed to, that our experience of the story will somehow be spoiled. But, but I read about a study that was done a while back that tested this theory out. They took a group of people and they told these people 12 stories. 
All right. Now, six of the stories that they were told, uh, they kind of gave them an overview uh, uh, at first before they, they heard the story. And they got this overview that, that basically gave away the plot, basically spoiled the ending. And then for the other six stories, they just did a cold reading of the story. No prior background information, just directly into the story. And then afterwards, they polled people about their experience of the stories that they had heard. And they found out that the participants preferred the spoiled versions over the unspoiled ones. The conclusion of the study was this. Knowing the ending of a story before you read it doesn't hurt the experience of the story. It actually makes you enjoy the story more. This upends our whole notion of spoiler alerts. It also reveals why many of us return to our favorite movies and books again and again and again. Knowing the ending actually makes us love a story even more. So we just keep on coming back to it, right? Knowing the ending of a story doesn't only change our experience of the story, but it also changes the meaning of the story. For Shakespeare, for example, it was the end of his plays that determined whether they were a tragedy or a comedy, right? And there are so many movies and, and stories that have come out with that crucial plot twist that causes us to go back and watch the whole thing over again in a new light. The twist ending challenges us and changes the meaning of the whole story. So now, Back to Matthew 28. And if you turn there, you'll notice that it's the last chapter in the book of Matthew. So, spoiler alert, right? We are about to give away the ending of this gospel. But the case I want to make today is that knowing the ending of the story actually transforms the meaning of the whole story. This is what Easter is about. So let's read Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. And so they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. But suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go. And tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we worship you in this day as we celebrate your resurrection. God, we thank you for the end of the story. We ask that you would draw us into that story of resurrection and life. I ask that as we consider the words of your scripture today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, the risen one. Amen. Amen. So this is the great Easter story. You were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. These are the words of the angel. This is the story that we celebrate today. But more than that, this is the essential plot twist that gives new meaning to everything else. It is because of this story that we have reason to celebrate in the midst of a pandemic. Or to put it another way, it is only because of Easter Sunday that we can call two days earlier Good Friday. You see, that Friday was nothing but tragic on its own. And yet the twist ending of Easter gives all the events that occurred before a whole new meaning. And that is what I want to consider together today. So in your Bible, flip back a couple of pages and let's look at the events that led up to this. All right. So look back at, at Matthew chapter 26. All right. Matthew 26 should just be a page or two back in verse 36. Jesus and his disciples are heading over to a garden called Gethsemane. And once they arrive, he tells them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. And then he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and he prayed. And then in verse 40, after his prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus here is filled with grief and he bends down to pray. But meanwhile, his disciples' bellies are full from the Passover meal and they're all falling asleep. And we see in the following verses, this cycle repeats itself three times. Jesus prays and he finds them sleeping. Jesus prays, and he finds them sleeping. Three times this happens until verse 46, when Jesus looks to them and says, Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, Judas, 
One of the twelve arrived. With him was a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And after a small struggle from his bewildered disciples and a brief exchange with Judas and the others, the mob arrests Jesus. And the passage ends in verse 56. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Man, as as I consider these verses, this precursor to the Easter story, specifically in light of our current circumstances, I cannot help but notice how Jesus throughout is increasingly isolated in this passage. As it starts, he is on an evening stroll with his disciples. Then he begins to feel the weight of grief. And when he invites his friends to pray with him, they fail to join him and end up falling asleep. So first, his friends fail him. Then comes Judas, who outright betrays him. And finally, everyone deserts him and flees. Throughout the passage, Jesus encounters greater and greater depths of isolation from people he knows and loves. And right now, we are living in a world of isolation. As people are in quarantine, as communities are in lockdown, right? And and I don't just mean isolation as in, oh, I'm so bored, I can't figure out what to do with myself, right? I mean the kind of isolation for those who are all by themselves for days on end. And they face nothing but a dark gulf of depression or the fear of meaninglessness. I mean the kind of isolation that comes from betrayal and denial. I mean the kind of isolation that comes from not having any safe place to go or anyone to run to. You see, all of these kinds of isolation already existed in our world, but now they have been brought to the forefront in our current circumstances. This kind of isolation has always existed, and Jesus was familiar with it. And in some strange way, this story of isolation, just two chapters before Easter, lead up to that great plot twist in 28. But the story goes on. After Jesus is arrested, they bring him before the scribes and elders and the high priest where he is accused and questioned. And in chapter 26, verse 67, it says that they spat in his face and struck him, and some slapped him. And then Jesus is brought from the religious authorities to the political authorities. And Pilate, the governor, questions Jesus and tries to reason with the crowd, but ultimately he gives in to pressure. And in chapter 27, verse 26, it says, After flogging Jesus, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Now, this is a brief statement that could easily be missed, but those three words, after flogging Jesus, 
is the basis for that lengthy and graphic scourging scene at the center of the passion of the Christ. And opinions vary on how historically accurate that scene really is, how severe the beating really was. But it was apparently severe enough for Jesus to not be strong enough afterwards to carry his own cross. So they call someone from the crowd to carry it for him. Nonetheless, after flogging, Jesus is all that the scripture says about it. But we read on in verse 27 and see that the soldiers stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted some thorns into a crown and they put it on his head. They mocked him, spat on him, struck him in the head. And then at the end of verse 31, they led him away to crucify him. And what I see in this part of the story is a movement from social isolation to physical affliction. And again, with the pattern of increasing measures, right? First he is spit upon and slapped, then he is flogged and struck, and ultimately he is nailed to and hung upon the cross. And as time passed hanging there, it would have become increasingly difficult for him to breathe. In fact, suffocation is one of the main ways that crucifixion kills. So Jesus hung there in agony and pain, gasping for breath. And again, I, I can't help but think in our current circumstances, in the current crisis of the world, the virus has infected more than one and a half million people throughout the world, causing high fevers, aches, and pains. A recent article said that one in six COVID-19 patients become seriously ill and has difficulty breathing. That's because lungs are the main battleground in COVID-19 infections, which can cripple breathing functions. Ultimately, just under 100,000 people have died. And, and that's only from this virus. There are still other sicknesses and disease and pains and physical afflictions in the world. We live in a world that is filled with physical affliction, and Jesus was utterly familiar with it as he hung on the cross, gasping for each breath. And somehow, this story of physical affliction is the precursor to that surprising ending that is Easter. But the story goes on. As Jesus hangs on the cross, people continue mocking him. And at the end of verse 39, they shout out, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And again, in verse 43, they say, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants to. For he said, I am God's son. You see, his faith 
is ridiculed again and again until finally, at the end of verse 46, Jesus himself cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So far, we've seen social isolation and physical affliction. And here, in this final part, we see spiritual desolation. And again, with the pattern of increasing intensity and measures. First, the crowd mocks his identity. Then they mock his God. And finally, Jesus himself cries out in desperation to God. And as we look around in our world, we see a world of social isolation. We see a world of physical affliction. And we also see a world of spiritual desolation. Whether it's the doubt of whether or not God even exists, or if it's the fear that, well, if he does exist, is he any good? Or if it's the desolation of our own sinful rebellion against God. Whether we find ourselves in the crowd mocking God, or with Christ calling out, where are you, God? Or somewhere in between, wherever you are, we know the reality of spiritual desolation. And again, somehow, strangely, this story of spiritual desolation gives way to Matthew 28, the Easter story. So, so how does the Easter ending change the meaning of the rest of the story? Right? How does Easter confront our social isolation, our physical affliction, and our spiritual desolation? How can anything from that Friday story that we just read be called good? Well, Friday ended with the question, has God abandoned Jesus? Darkness was covering the land and the earth was shaking. But on Sunday, we find our answer to that question as the earth shakes once more and an angel of the Lord descends like lightning. No, God has not abandoned Jesus. Friday ended with a beaten and bloody Jesus breathing his last, giving way to death. But on Sunday, we hear the great proclamation, you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen. Friday ended alone, in isolation. But on Sunday, the women gather around Jesus at his feet, and he is on his way to meet the others. You see, the Easter ending changes the meaning of the whole story. 
All the powers of darkness had done their worst to Jesus. They isolated and humiliated him. They tortured him and even killed him. But none of that was enough. And this is the good news of Easter. No matter how lonely the isolation, no matter how painful the affliction, no matter how dark the desolation, the resurrection is greater than them all. Easter shows us that in the words of songwriter Sandra McCracken, if it's not okay, then it's not the end. If it's not okay, then it is not the end. Easter is the true ending of the story. And not just Jesus' story. It is the end of the story. That is to say, Easter is the big spoiler alert in the great eternal story. This means that loneliness and pain, sin and doubts, not even death itself will have the last word. Rather, the true end will be resurrection and life for all who are in Christ. This pandemic and all of its social, economic, physical, and spiritual challenges is real. And, and we are right to grieve. But in the end, we have nothing to look forward to but life. Easter is the spoiler for the great eternal story. And knowing that changes the meaning of the whole story. Knowing that changes our experience, no matter how difficult or dark. So what will come of our social isolation? What will come of our physical affliction? What will come of our spiritual desolation? Well, flip to the end of the book. Not just Matthew, the end of the book. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride being adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. He is risen. He is risen indeed.